0: I'm going to do something this morning that I rarely uh, do. Um, it's not that big of a deal, but I'm going to have two different introductions. Um, one before the reading and then a short one after the reading. I don't like to do that because I don't often like to say things before I read the Word of God. But I think, I think as we come to Leviticus 4, there might be some preliminary words that might be helpful To us as we consider both this morning as well as over the next several weeks together. So, before we come to the text there of Leviticus 4, and it is going to be a long reading, I'm going to read all the way from 4 uh, to 513, so prepare yourself for that. Um, Let me begin by saying this. This morning we're going to be speaking, as Brandon mentioned with the children, we're going to be speaking of unintentional sins. and as we, even as we say that, unintentional sins, that often and might raise questions concerning then what we might think of intentional sins. Brandon did a great job of reminding the children that both our intentional and unintentional sins are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus. But I think sometimes also as we think about particularly these particular offerings here and we examine our own hearts that that we have to admit that not all our sin is unintentional, that our sin isn't always because we forget God's law or that we left something out inadvertently. Sometimes we sin knowing that sin is sin. And sometimes we do that. And then Numbers 11, as an example, after talking of sacrifice and forgiveness of unintentional sin Moses goes on to say but the person who does anything with a high hand whether he's native or a sojourner reviles the Lord and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he's despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment that person shall be utterly cut off his iniquity shall be on him so sometimes I think as believers we may think okay so there's hope for me when I sin unintentionally or accidentally, but if I sin intentionally, as we've all done, then where does that leave us? Are we then really without hope? And even as Brandon said earlier, this is not what the text is saying. It doesn't say that there are things that we can do as believers that put us outside of the blood of the Lord Jesus. Moses, in Numbers, just like the commentary that we receive from the author of Hebrews, both on this particular passage in Numbers, as well as in here in Leviticus chapter four. That author of Hebrews says this in, in chapter 26. He says, "For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins." So when we read things like that, we might be confused. Is there a difference here? Well, what the author is talking about here is high-handed sin. That high-handed sin is, I know the Word of God, I know the truth, and I reject the Word of God. I don't want the Word of God. I don't want what it is that God has provided in Christ Jesus. That's not the struggle that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 7, where Paul says this, where he says, "...for I do not understand my own actions." For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. That's not high-handed sin. That's struggle with sin and the process of sanctification that you and I both understand. No, high-handed sin is I do understand my own actions. And I am doing exactly what I want. It is the thing that I love, and it is not the Lord Jesus, him I do not want. That's high-handed rejection of the Word of God. So as we think about these things, all high-handed sin is intentional, but not all intentional sin is high-handed. Let me say that again. All high-handed sin is intentional, but not all intentional sin is High handed. The reason why I wanted to say those things prior to the reading is that I do not want you to think, as God's people, that there are those sins, maybe, that put you beyond the reach of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, if one rejects that blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is outside of it. But there is no sin that puts you beyond the reach of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may need to hear that this morning and be reminded of that. Leviticus chapter 4, let's stand, shall we? In honor of the reading of the Word of God. If you've got your Bibles, I am going to ask that you would follow along with me. Whether it's in your Bibles or with your phone, because get ready, I'm going to read fast. All right? All right. Leviticus chapter 4. That's not to say that this isn't important, but it is important. In fact, the reading of the word is often the most important thing that we do during this time. But for the sake of time, please be ready to listen. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done, and does any one of them, if it's the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, and lay his hand on the head of the bull, and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull, and bring it into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, and spread Sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood of on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting, and all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at that base of the altar of burnt offering that's at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it. The fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that's on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he he shall remove with the kidneys just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings and the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering but the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head its legs its entrails and its dung all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it up on fire of wood on the ash heap it shall be burned up If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of the meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their head hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, and spread Sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that's at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus he shall do with a bull. As he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp, burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins, doing intentionally any one of the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done... And realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice or peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for... Him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the of the burnt offering, and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove, as the fat is removed from the peace offerings, and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering." Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar a burnt offering and pour all, all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for, for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he is seen or come to know the matter, he does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock... Or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it's hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt. Or if he touches human uncleanness, or whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it's hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt. Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do, or to do, to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it's hidden from him when he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt in any of these. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. He shall sprinkle some of the blood for the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and put no frankincense on it. For it is a sin offering and he shall bring it to the priest. The priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial uh, portion and burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any of these things. And he shall be forgiven and the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, indeed, this is your word. Yes, a long reading. And yes, another reading where we might be tempted to think, Oh my, what a bunch of ritual. What a bunch of blood and guts and stuff. And does that really mean anything for us today? Lord, would you show us and teach us that indeed it does? Would you point us to your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? And in my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. Would you put yourself on display? And would you exalt the name of the living Christ? And would you change us, mold us, make us into the men, women, children that you've called us to be? We ask in the name of and for the sake of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. We have all said things like this. Haven't we? Things like, oh, but I didn't mean to. Or maybe we say things like, I didn't know that I was supposed to do that. Or maybe this, this is one of my favorite. But I forgot. Or maybe, well, I didn't know that was wrong. And we say those types of things, don't we, as an excuse or to use a theological biblical word, as a justification for what we've done. It is an attempt to remove the consequences or to remove the guilt or to remove the shame or to remove the pollution from ourselves. We think, if I didn't mean to or I didn't know, then I'm not responsible for it. Well, one of the main things that we learn from this passage here in Leviticus 4 in the first part of 5 is that even unintentional sin makes us unclean. Even unintentional sin makes us dirty, to put it that way. And even from it, we need to be cleansed. We need to be purified. This sin offering teaches us That sin pollutes. And we stand in need of the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus. And no amount of self-justification can put us in right standing with God. Only the blood of Jesus to which this sacrifice points. Matthew 27. Many of you will remember. Right before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus had been sent to Pontius Pilate and Pontius just couldn't find any real reason to convict him. And so Pilate goes back to the people, if you'll remember, and well, I'll read it. It says this, it says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd Saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And of course, Pilate handed over an innocent man to be crucified. And Pilate can make all the claims that he wants to make that he is innocent. But, and and not only that. He can claim that it wasn't his fault. And he can make whatever attempts he wants to make to clean himself, to wash his hands of it. But no amount of those things can wash away his sin. No amount of those things can purify him. No amount of self-justification. No amount of self-cleansing. Brothers and sisters can take away our sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This sin offering here in Leviticus chapter 4 reminds us of the need of the shedding of blood. And it does so by giving examples under six different headings. And, and we see those headings with the introductory statements that we're going to use as our divisions. So yes, there's going to be six divisions. And they're all going to be rather short divisions because there's six of them. One, if anyone sins. Two, if it is the anointed priest who sins. Three, if the congregation sins. Four, when a leader sins. Five, if any one of the common people sins. Then finally, six, at the beginning of chapter five, it returns to if anyone to address three particular sins. So we're going to walk through it in that way that's given to us by the text itself. Let's look first to this kind of what we're going to learn is really an, um, an overall heading. But let's look first to the first, if anyone sins. And as we approach the, this section of scripture, of this book particularly, we ought to notice that chapter 4 starts a little bit differently than chapter 3 starts. It starts a little bit differently than chapter 2 starts. Um, chapter 4 starts by saying, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. The opening sentence here points us to the fact that we are entering here a, a new section. A new section of Leviticus. While it still belongs to these first five voluntary, spontaneous offerings that we've been studying, there is something a bit different here for these remaining two that we're going to be studying from the first three. And what is that? Well, it is again that these particular offerings address what to do when somebody sins unintentionally. This addresses the oops, or I forgot, or I didn't mean to. You know, this offering is traditionally called um, the sin offering, and that's completely appropriate. But, it, but that also, I think, can lead to some confusion because there are other offerings that deal with sin, right? So why is this one particularly called that? Well, I, I think... Um, It may be better understood if rather than calling it sin offering, which again, nothing's wrong with nothing is wrong with that, but it might be better understood if we were to call it the purification offering because it has to do with just that. It has to do with purification, the purification of the people of God, but not only the purification of the people of God, but also of the place of God, as we're going to find uh, the purification of the sanctuary or even of the altar itself. It had to do with the removal of the defilement and the pollution of sin. So we've talked about that over the past couple of weeks, that each of these offerings, um, while there's so many similarities within them, that they also emphasize different particular things, and the same is true with this offering. It emphasizes those the it emphasizes the purification or the removal of that stain. And the, and the first part here, um, if anyone sins, this first statement really serves as a summary statement or a or an all inclusive um, reality that it's presenting. That and let me explain that. It goes straight from, if you'll notice as we read it, it, goes straight from if anyone sins and then it doesn't really say anything about those if anyone and then it goes to if it's the anointed priest who sins. So you see what's taking place here. The people who sin are going to be addressed in just a few short paragraphs, but it's, if, it's as if Moses is saying or the Lord is saying through, through Moses, if anyone, if anyone sins, These are the way that those things are to be addressed. This is what's to be done. And we're going to start with the anointed priest. Does that make sense? That's really where this begins. So it's an overarching. If anyone does this, now we're going to start with the anointed priest. Why? Well, because even from the very beginning, we learn an important lesson. We learn that sin affects everyone. No one is immune. No one is immune. From the anointed priest to the common person, sin is an equal opportunity defiler. And it leads, leaves its stain everywhere and on everyone. And we learn something else, though, too, don't we? These sins that, were, that are being addressed here, they, again, they're unintentional. They're unintentional. There are intentional sins. These sins here, they are less serious than those sins that are unintentional. And and in a culture where everything is used as an excuse for sin, where everything is used to, to justify sin, particularly sin that affects not only the person, but other people as well, in a culture where everything is justified, and where no one can say anything about anybody else's sin, no matter how heinous, because what are they met with when they do so? They say, oh, well, he who is is without sin, right? As if there's no difference between sin. What we learn here in Leviticus 4 is that there is a difference between different sins. This has important application for us even today. Brothers and sisters, some sins are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Let me say that again. Some sins are more heinous in the sight of God than others. And in fact, our standards in the Westminster Larger Catechism addresses this very issue. Has a question and a couple of answers that go along with it. It asks the question, are all transgressions of the law of God equally heinous in in themselves and in the sight of God? And here's the answer. All transgressions of the law are not equally heinous. But some sins in themselves and by reason of several uh, aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. There are some sins that are worse. In the sight of God, than others. But also, what we learn here in Leviticus 4 is the, is the opposite side of that same coin, as it were. That even though that is true, even though that is true, all sin, however heinous or however slight we might think it to be, all sin deserves the wrath. And judgment of God. We learn that here in Leviticus 4. And that's partly partly why the passage is is arranged in the way that it's arranged. It's to show us that some, some sins are worse than others. It's also to show us that some people in different positions, the effect of the sin, the consequences of that sin, and the responsibility of the person is greater than others. So that's why the text, it starts with the anointed priest and makes its way down to the common person. Notice what it says. If it's the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he's committed, a bull from the herd without blemish, to the Lord for a sin offering. Notice for the priest, the the offering that is to be brought, the sacrifice that is to be given, it is the most expensive thing that could be brought. It's a thing of most value to be brought as a sacrifice. It's a bull without blemish. Why? Because it's a big deal when the priest sins. And notice the consequence of his sin. Doesn't just affect him. Doesn't just affect the priest. But as the priest represents the people of God, it brings guilt on the people of God as a whole. Did you notice that? And as we're going to learn throughout this passage, and I'll probably mention again, and it's not just for the priest, but we learn it here in this particular part here with the priest, that the priest doesn't sin in a vacuum. His sin doesn't just affect him. It affects God's people. The same could be said for us. We often think that our sin only affects ourselves. Oh, it just, it, nobody's going to know who's going to know. Nobody's going to know, right? I can just do this. Nobody else will know. It's not going to affect anybody else. But brothers and sisters, our, our, our sins not only affect ourselves, but they also affect the body as a whole. And particularly here for the priest. Particularly here for the priest. And, and there's, there's only one priest ever who didn't have to make atonement for his own sin as well as for the people. The author author of Hebrews says it this way, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law... Appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You see, the old covenant priest, the old covenant priest needed cleansing himself. In fact, because of his sin, he dirtied everything he touched. His son, his sin left the stain of that, left the stain everywhere. Everywhere. And this is why the blood was sprinkled several, uh, seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Seven times, that number for completion, for wholeness. Even the sanctuary needed to be cleansed because of the priest's sin, because of the defilement. It's why the blood was put on the horns of the altar, because the horns represented the whole of the altar. So blood was put there because it, too, because of the priest, had been defiled. Because the priest needed to be cleansed. And he represented the people. He himself, the sanctuary, and the people all needed to be cleansed. This this is uh, what Bert read in the New Testament just a few moments ago from that other passage in Hebrews. Almost everything had to be cleansed with blood. In the Old Testament, everything needed to be purified with blood. See, the old covenant high priest, he was unable himself to atone for the sin of the people. Why? Because he himself stood in need of cleansing. He himself needed to be cleansed. How could he do the cleansing for others when he needed it himself? But not the Lord Jesus. Not the Lord Jesus, the one to whom this points. He... Himself, the great high priest, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Now, the next group mentioned here is the congregation. The text says, if the congregation of Israel sins unintentionally. Now, it would be easy, I think, for us to just think of the congregation as we might think of it today. That these are, these are just the church people, right? This is just the congregation, the body, And certainly, certainly this group is part of the body. But as we're going to see down in verse 27, we're going to get to in just a few moments. We're going to get to the body. We're going to get to the the common people that make up the body. This congregation here, this word, it's used a bit differently for different purposes. This congregation here is likely some sort of ruling body within Israel. Gordon Winham. Uh, commentator says probably was a large body a sort of parliament with representative and judicial functions this this body was some sort of spiritual governing body within the life of Israel and there's been a corporate sin committed unintentionally by this body and so when or if that becomes known to them then they too They too shall offer a bull from the herd. Again, this is a body of spiritual leaders within the body of Israel. So the offering given is to represent the seriousness of the offense. Again, the principle. Not all sin is the same. And not all are responsible in the same way. Sin does come too with its Several aggravations, we'll use the word of, that the Westminster Larger Catechism uses. And not even governing bodies are exempt from the stain and the guilt and the pollution of sin. Even those bodies need to be cleansed and forgiven. Even they stand in need of the blood of Jesus. We then move to another category if a leader sins and I find it so interesting I don't know if you caught this or not but it's interesting how the ESV translates this as I read it as you may have heard me read it when we had the long reading the ESV says when a leader sins when a leader sins and I can find no linguistic reason in the Hebrew to make the change from the if to the way the ESV does it, to the when. And yet, I'll still say this, I get it. I get why they would translate it this way. Because it is not if, but it is when. When a leader sins. Because a leader is going to sin. I'm not making light of that. But again, no one is exempt. No one is exempt from this equal opportunity defiler. And the costliness of the sacrifice for the leader is not like that of the priest. It's not like that of the corporate congregation or the parliament. It's not as costly, but it's, but it's greater than it is for the common person. Why? Well, again, because this is a person in leadership. That's why. And, and, and in Israel, it's interesting. In Israel, this word that's used here for leader is never used for spiritual leadership. This particular word here is always used in its secular use. So as you probably know, Israel existed as a church state. It wasn't just uh, the church within the world um, it was a church state. So they had secular positions of leadership and governance and so forth within the nation of Israel. And this is one of those, this is one of those positions. This was a leader in what, what, in what, what, in what we might call, <clears throat> call the secular affairs of the state. Um, again, that's how that word is used in the Old Testament. So for this particular leader, it's, it's not a bull, but it's a goat... Without blemish. And and it's interesting, isn't it? That what what he is to bring is is, is is not as costly as for the congregation or for the high priest. Why? Because the secular affairs of the state aren't nearly as important as the spiritual affairs of God's people. Still important, but not as important to the Lord. And with all of these, with all of these sacrifices and offerings, we notice something, don't we? We see that same familiar language of those former sacrifices that we've been studying together so, uh, uh, so far, right? I mean, it's without blemish. It's um, the blood of the offering, Uh, The fat of the sacrifice. I mean, we see all of that still continued in Leviticus 4 and the beginning of Leviticus 5. A lot of those things haven't changed. So again, we see even here the thoroughness of God's requirements. We see here the perfection of God's standard. Of what God expects from his people. This leader, even in secular leadership, is not immune to sin And to its stain, and he is in need of forgiveness and cleansing. And then we come to yet another category, and this is the common people. When a common person sins unintentionally, neither are they immune from sin and its stain. Just because they are normal, everyday people, with no leadership responsibilities, with no spiritual oversight, still yet, they are in need of cleansing and forgiveness. And I think I, think I, I want to emphasize this just a little bit because I think for some of us, some of us, we might have this temptation to see. well, I can see why the, the priest needs to be held accountable. I could see why the governing body would need to be held accountable. I can see why this leader needs to be held accountable. But why me? I'm just a normal old person in the congregation. I'm a common person. But what Leviticus chapter 4 is telling us again is that nobody is immune from the need of the cleansing of the stain of sin. Nobody is immune from the need of the forgiveness of sin. There is still real guilt in need of removal. And the costliness of his offering, then it's not the same either. It's not as costly as any that has come before. It's a goat. It's a goat. Like the leader, yes, but it doesn't have to be a male. It's a female. A female, but still yet without blemish. And like with the other offerings, if he he can't afford that, if he can't afford a goat, then a lamb might be offered. And again... As as we have learned already in our study with this, the purpose of sacrifice is not to deprive God's people of good things. Let me say that again. The purpose of sacrifice or of offering is not to deprive God's people of good things. It's not to ensure that God's people are poor. Not at all. They give... Of what's been given to them. Another another important principle here. Worship is not just for those that have. Worship is not just for those that have. It's for everyone. We think of Jesus and we think of the widow. In Mark chapter 12. Remember her? What did she give? She gave but two small coins. And yet it was said of her that she gave more than anybody else. Do you remember that story? And isn't it interesting? Often, often, not all the time, but often it is those who don't have as much as others who are the ones that give. Have you ever thought of why that might be the case? Could it be that those who have have put their trust in the things that they have and therefore they cannot let go of them? Could it be? Then finally, we come to this last category. And and this last category addresses three specific instances. One who fails to testify one who touches something unclean and or one who takes an oath rashly and these are all very interesting aren't they and they raise questions for us and and we'll have opportunity to delve into this a little later in our in in our study together but I think it's important to mention here that we need to notice that the sin particularly the one that speaks of coming into contact with something unclean the sin isn't Coming into contact with something unclean in and of itself. Let me say it this way. All sin makes one unclean. But not all uncleanness is sin. We're going to see that more as we walk through Leviticus. There's going to be many opportunities for us to see that principle. But what's going on here particularly in chapter 5 is that one had been made ceremonially unclean because he or she had had touched something or whatever it was. They'd been made ceremonially unclean and then participated in temple worship or temple rituals while being unclean. And therefore, that is a breaking of the law. Does that make sense? There's a, I know that's a nuance there, but it's important. It's particularly going to be important as we go throughout our study in Leviticus. And say, wait a minute, these are just natural things that happen to a man. These are just natural things that happen to a woman. You mean to tell me that these things mean I'm a sinner? No. But it does mean that you are unclean. This would be in the Old Testament system, of course. But it wouldn't mean that you would be unclean and in need... ...of cleansing before taking part in temple rituals. Okay, and that's an important thing to see. So these were all in need of cleansing from sin. And here again, the female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And if one can't afford that, again, as God is apt to do, two turtle doves or two pigeons... But then notice something else here. If one can't even afford that, two turtle doves and two pigeons, then it says a tenth of an ephah of fine flour. And you say, that's not that big of a deal because we've seen cereal offerings already. We've seen fine flour offerings. Why is that a big deal? Because it is, it is repeated two or three more times after that. It is a sin offering. It is a sin offering. And we go, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean it's a sin offering? There is no shedding of blood. Well, what can we learn of that? We can learn that the blood of bulls and goats is no more effective than a fine ephah of flour of removing sin. But the things to who, or the one to whom it points, is utterly effective. And they point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang it just a little bit ago, not, not the blood of bulls and goats, only, but the blood of Jesus. One of the things as we study Leviticus, and I'm gonna conclude with this, but uh, did I say Genesis? Did I say Genesis? Did that come out of my mouth? I did, didn't I? One of these, no, I don't know. Anyways, Leviticus is what I meant to say. I heard Genesis some, for some reason. One of the things that we're going to see as we study Leviticus together is that it's going to seem for us that we're going to get over and over again the sense that even the smallest of sins, the minutest of sins, even accidental sins, incidental sins, unintentional sins, they are a big deal before the all holy God. And we get that here in Leviticus 4, don't we? Even what we might consider the smallest of sins or the biggest of deals before the Lord. But is that all we see here in this passage? Just a bunch of particulars in regard to sacrifices and offerings to show us our sin To show us the sinfulness of our sin. Is that all there is to it here in Leviticus 4? Brothers and sisters, praise God, that is not at all it. It is to show us that God has provided a way to deal with that sin. When you read Leviticus 4 and the first of chapter 5... It's not that all we should see is all these little bitty details about sacrifices and offerings. What you ought to see in Leviticus 4 and the first part of 5 in the midst of all of it is God's grace for sinners like you and like We see God's grace. In the midst of all of it, we see, as John Currid notes in his commentary, God has not abandoned his people and left them in their sin. That's what we see in Leviticus 4. He's provided cleansing and purification from it. And that's not just a conclusion that we draw if we properly read it or properly interpret it. It's right here in the text. And you say, where? Verse 20. And they shall be forgiven. Verse 26. And he shall be forgiven. Verse 31. And he shall be forgiven. Verse 35. And he shall be forgiven. Verse 10 of chapter 5. And he shall be forgiven. Verse 13. And he shall be forgiven. Oh, the sweet and precious Word of God. Forgiveness of sin by the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, in a letter to Philip Melanchthon, another reformer, he wrote, and it was in the context, this letter was in Philip. Melanchthon was um, struggled with different things than Luther struggled with and Luther was writing him a letter to encourage him. Melanchthon was really struggling with his sin, the depth of his sin, the breadth of his sin, the length of his sin, how many sins he committed and he was really struggling with that and his doubt, can the blood of Jesus really cover all of my sin? And Martin Luther wrote to him and in that letter it says, do you think such an exalted lamb paid merely a small price with a meager sacrifice for our sins? And then he says, Pray hard, for you are quite a sinner. Brothers and sisters, you and I are quite the sinners. We are quite the sinners, but Jesus is quite the sacrifice. Jesus is quite the Savior. He is our great high priest who offered himself once and for all for our sin. Jesus is enough to cover your sin. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we thank you for that beautiful, wonderful, marvelous grace of God. Your grace for us in Christ Jesus. May we leave today leaping, as it were, as a deer. Because we have been cleansed by the stain of sin. Purified from its pollution not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of Jesus. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.